I think just the highlight is that you can trust your own intuition, you can trust yourself, you can trust your creativity to design something that actually is amazing. This is The Producers. I'm Danny Vallant. What if you farmed as much for beauty and joy and creativity as sustenance? Simone Jelly runs Pretty Produce, an edible flower grower in Queensland, supplying chefs and restaurants and making value-added products that she offers direct to consumer. It's an endless journey of discovery, working with plants that aren't always appreciated for their edibility, that are strictly seasonal and extremely perishable. So Pretty Produce is uh, an edible flower farm. It's been in existence since 2014 roundabouts where um, I started a foray into gardening. I've never done gardening actually before, never had my own garden. And so basically from that instance of falling into an obsession um, and and looking at plants and edibility, it's come through to now, which is all about having a gorgeous farm full of flowers, full of edible plants. Yeah, that's um, joyful. So we are southeast Queensland. We're on the borderlands. So we're down sandwiched in between the, um, the Gold Coast hinterland. We're in the scenic rim region, which is just uh, receiving so much amazing publicity globally at the minute for being so epic and beautiful and full to the brim with amazing producers. And, um, yeah, we, we're very, very lucky to have a temperate-slash-subtropical climate. Farming snuck up on Simone in 2014 after she suddenly lost her job as a newspaper photographer. Her appreciation for the visual was crucial in driving her career move. It all started back in the day with my brother, who is actually a a farmer. They've got an orchard at Stanthorpe and they were looking for diversification projects. And I was a photographer at the time with Queensland newspapers and I was shooting lots of food that started to feature flowers, edible flowers on them. And so I pitched that to them, to my brother, as an idea. They decided it was just, it was too new and they it wasn't, you know, conventional farming as such. So I, de- I decided to take it on myself, um, living on, on Maclay Island, which is um, off Redland Bay. So we... So when I say we, I'm used to saying we. It's actually myself and my husband. My husband does all of the, the, the farm sort of heavy work and I do the planting, the research, the, you know, the, the product development and such with the flowers and with the garnish and then, yeah, so then I take it through to market and it's just been a never-ending rabbit hole that I've fallen into because when I first started doing it back in 2014, I got into finding out about um, edible weeds, uh, edible flowers and then self-guided research into what is edible full stop. And um, so the flowers has been something that is just ongoing passion and obsession because there's just so much to explore with edibility and flowers uh, for obviously for plating for chefs but also for uh, value-added products for therapeutical applications. It's just, it just seems to be never-ending. When the possibilities seem endless and you're something of a pioneer, 
It can be tricky to choose the right places to sink time, energy and money. So it's really uh, defined very, very strictly with the seasons and... There's a thing about flowers. Some will shift. You can shift them a little bit out of season. They're basically um, fecundity plants, uh, but others are very, very stuck within their framework of seasonality. So you'll find that most edible flower growers around the world have a format of one, the most beautiful, best, the best tasting, um, you know, the, in some ways the, the least challenging to grow, the highest yields. Um, also what tends to hold up in the distribution process, what finds itself to the chef in the best um, state. And so these are, this is pretty much what predetermines you know, most edible flowers, growers, most growers and um, and what they produce. However, looking out into the world of edibility, I started to break down the world of plants in terms of, you know, sometimes you look at an ornamental that's in a garden, well, can you eat it? Sometimes you look at a plant that has a leaf structure, well, can you eat the flower? So I started to break down everything so there was no walls because I'm not horticulturally trained, so... I could start to look upon the whole, you know, world and the landscape in terms of edibility, edibility in that way. So it opened up being able to introduce um, a very broad range of different components into my products that um, was much further and much bigger than a lot of other growers. And I also started quite early. So 2014 was relatively new days in Australia for edible flower farmers. So... You know, it was a slate, a clean slate to build upon. Contemporary farming can be blandly monocultural, but Simone's approach is all about variety. So at any one time, I can have up to 70 different types of flowers slash garnish, and it ranges from straight flowers that you would consider, you know, seasonal. So um, within the seasonal um, framework of southeast Queensland, you've got going into summer period. So there'll be things that are traditional that you can eat that are summer flowers. There's a lot of the um, zinnias, cosmos, three different types of cosmos family. There's the sunflowers. You can eat the petals. There's all of the sun-loving plants. Um, There's also a range of um, uh, food plants that I let to go to flower. So at the moment I've got tons of like radish and brassica flowers and like things like mustard and I'm even letting some cauliflower go through to flower at the moment to taste that and see what that's like. Um, I've got loads of, you know, broccolis and kales and things that you let go to flower. Lots of herbs go to flower as well. So you've got those kind of flavour profiles, things like basils and dills and fennels all of those things you've got the allium family so you've got like the onion flowers the garlic flowers um so there's a whole gamut and there's a whole range of 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 flowers and you've also got native flowers as well australian natives so looking at starting to get the flowering happening with the lemon myrtles um the the back family so the the cinnamon cinnamon and the anise myrtles as well so yeah there's a, there's a huge range of things that come into summer, although summer tends to be the least amount of, um, you know, flowers that you can actually present 
through it, the best season by far is the winter winter spring boundary, which is called springtime. When farming flowers for eating, it's important to choose varieties that are most crucially not toxic, but also are palatable and pleasurable to eat. With edibility, it's to do with obviously flavour profile and it's to do with um, mouthfeel. So some flowers, most actually have almost like a bitter because bitter relates to therapeutical. So um, a lot of the summer flowers uh, present with bitter as well and possibly that's because of the increased sun radiation. You know, it's a protectionist kind of activity that the, the plants indulge in. Not sure about that, but however, you're not wanting to put really bitter and hard leathery boot-like flowers on a very expensive dish. So you generally like the more herbaceous um ones which fall into like the thinner petal structures, things like the violas and pansies and cornflower petals, things that the, the winter tends to have the softer flowers that don't that aren't challenging uh, flavor profile wise. So um, yeah, and obviously if you're going to be talking about herbs and vegetable flowers, they're going to present with um, a, just a sweeter aspect of what the actual vegetable. Um, is tasting like so yeah so there's there's a range of different flowers that fit different dishes different cuisines you know culturally they're used in different ways which is really really interesting as someone who loves to research Simone has found herself something of an accidental authority on edibility I I literally uh, was being put in a position of almost like a global flower fascist (laughs) or a police officer because I'm because I've done so much research and I've done a lot of um uh, I've bought a lot of the major global go-tos for flower edibility and I've got them here and I and I access them on a daily basis so I've been I've seen I have seen cocktail makers put up on Instagram using oleander flowers in the cocktails and really, really poisonous flowers I've seen sort of happening on cakes. And um, and I've had to send little messages to sort of say very privately, look, just please, you need to do more research. These things are actually have toxicity. But when you look down on it and go past that as a whole different issue, Plants invest the least toxicity into flowers and into the the, the budding tips of their of the leaves. Um, they tend to um, reserve toxicity into unripe fruits and woody stems to preserve the plant and the seeding process. So, if you've got a plant that has got toxicity, for instance, lantana was a huge foraging hit back when uh, Noma had their pop-up in Sydney and uh, Renee featured a dessert using the lantana florets. And then you look at all of that um, to do with the plant toxicity. Well, the flower still has a dose, but it's very minor. And if you're only having one or two little sections of it, you know, it's not doing you any kind of damage but it just depends how much you consume whether it's dried whether it's fresh you know um, those kind of things 
Simone's most successful early products were complex mixes of leaves, herbs and flowers comprised of up to 40 plants. They were amazing to eat, but extraordinarily tricky to produce. The products themselves, I really got so far into um, the beautiful eat local, local heroes in that organic fluid kind of nature um, inspired me to look at placing different flavoured leaves and flowers together to create something that was more of a a flavour profile. So instead of what was being done um, by, you know, when you go to one of the big wholesalers, you could buy like, you know, radish leaves in in a box or spinach leaves in a box or herbs in a box or flowers in a box. Well, what I was looking at was combining everything into what I call a sour mix, a hot mix, an anise mix, a weedy mix. And I was looking at all of the beautiful forms of all of the things that seem related within the seasonal framework and then putting them together. And it was literally within a year of me starting up on my first farming lease, I'd won a gold medal down at the Delicious Awards nationally. I followed it up with another gold, um, a gold national award the next year, 2017, and then a state winner in 2018. And it was based off having all of these, say, for instance, the sour mix. The sour leaf mix had a mix of all sour leaves and flowers that fell within season. And the chefs could then buy that and then be able to pull out different forms to make each uh, dish different. They weren't all formularised. They weren't all the same. They could have a little bit more um, fluidity with their creativity with it. So that was the idea behind what I came up with quite naturally um, as a matter of course. And so they started off in 2015 with these these leaf leaf and flower mixes that were just based off their flavour profile. And however, at the end of the day, the the chefs were still a little bit confused. And even though um, they were amazing products, um, they were very, very difficult to grow for because literally some of them had 40 components within them. They they were so heavily engineered um, by my obsession with what you could eat uh, and what the flavour profiles were that it was just – a big haul putting them together. I absolutely um, had a lot of uh, a, a bit of an uphill um, journey with it because it takes a fair bit of awareness. It takes you need a lot of energy and sometimes you need a lot of uh, equity to break a new product into the marketplace. And you need to be explaining to chefs who are very very used to the southern centric cool climate. Um, seasonal and fashionable um, things that are happening within food to try and convince them to use a subtropical or tropical, you know, plant is, is very, it can be quite difficult. Being part of a chef's creative process is a satisfying part of Simone's farming life. She's opened the farm for kitchen teams to come and pick, muse and simply get their hands in the soil. I'm always just so curious and I'm really uh, I I'm curious about how you can take a flower and what you can do with a flower and how then you can use that flower so back in the day when I was 
sending out products to, I was going through Suncoast Fresh and Jensen's at Brisbane Wholesale Markets, but I was also going direct to chefs. So we've got um, Nathan Dunnell who's come out to the farm. He's the gourmet traveller, uh, Queensland Restaurant of the Year. And um, and it's all about coming up with dishes that he, he sees growing in the ground, he feels them, and then he takes them back into the kitchen. And then he has these incredible, very creative dishes that are, are run pioneering by themselves. They're not being influenced by trends or what's happening around in the industry. They're basically inspired here on farm, which is just so exciting. So what I've done with the space is I'm opening it up for chefs to come, to come and to forage, to pick, to defrag, <laughs> more importantly, to get out of the kitchen, come to a beautiful, beautiful place. And so what he what he did was a couple of years ago contacted me, was right on the cusp of COVID and things got really, really weird with, um, with we all know what's happened there. And so he got back in touch um, about a year ago and he said, I said, look, come out. And so he's been coming out with his staff with also um, – um, apprentices and chefs from other restaurants as well and coming out and doing picking, foraging and grasping a whole heap of creativity and uh, I am uh, inspiration for different crafted um, plates, meals, um, ideas for things that he could have in the restaurant are coming from here too and um, so that's just a beautiful instance of opening up the farm for that kind of creativity from the chefs. But I had the most incredible uh, instance actually where um, Ryan Squires called me out of the blue, didn't say who I was. He had um, he had a, a stunning three-hat restaurant um, on Eagle Pier and um, Esk and the Squires and he – called me out of the blue and was talking about fishing <laughs> and how, how I was going with the fishing and how I liked island life and how, you know, and we had this chat and I was like, oh, who is this guy? And then half an hour into it, he said, oh, I heard that you grow this these amazing things out on your island. And um, he said, would you mind just dropping in a few samples to me? And I'd love to give them a try. And I said, oh, okay, so where are you calling from? And he told me and I nearly fell off my chair. And then it was unabated creativity. So he would just say, Simone, what have you got? Get it to me and we'll play. So I used to harvest full two kilos of weeds, the most bitter chicories, the most incredible edible weeds that were popping up seasonally, um, all sorts of different flowers. And he'd run them through. Um, these really fine dining high-end applications. And so he was really the first. And then I got a call um, from um, Anthony Donaldson and Jake Nicholson at Blackbird with the Ganim Group. You know, I I was just in a magical place, a magical time where all of a sudden everything came together and foraged goods and uh, unusual plants were just really being sought out by by chefs. And so um, Andy Ashby was another one who basically at the time got in touch with me and um, been a few, there's been a fair few others that have come and gone throughout time. The thing about direct supply is direct supply is dependent upon the farmer being able to leave the farm, get in the, get in the truck 
and drive the the goods in because you want them to be there in perfect nick. So you really want to do that, you know, and you want to talk to the chefs. You want to be able to talk to them and find out what they what they the feedback, what they like about your your goods, what is in the next incoming um, menu selection, what they've got going on for the next season in terms of seasonality. You know, they might give you the heads up on, hey, we're, we're thinking about doing these kind of dishes. Can you think about growing that? So you always want to be talking to your chefs and um, and doing those direct supply arrangements and breaking from the pressure of being ex- exclusive to wholesalers uh, was a godsend because you could start to find out about how to take your own business and be able to drive, creatively drive it forward with the plantings. Farmers always have values that guide the way they work, grow and interact with the supply chain. Simone's drivers are a little bit different. Well, look, this is the cornerstones. The cornerstones are beauty joy, wonder and love and I think that when you're encapsulated in your passion and you know you can get knocked down I have been I have had some seriously hard knocks I'm pretty resilient I'm known for being pretty gritty for getting back up and dusting myself off um, which farmers do can I tell you on a daily basis as well Um, however um, it's the beauty of what I'm doing is something that transports me and trans it just it's just transfixes me and keeps me thoroughly enjoying what I'm doing and I think this is this big craze about people rushing out to sunflower fields and and COVID there was a big surge in flower lovers um, people locked in their houses locked in their rooms they they looked out into the landscape of flowers to find beauty and joy and peace and to be uplifted. And I think that this is this can be global. <laughs> I'm, I want the whole world to grow zinnias in the summertime. You can use them on cheese boards, grazing tables. They're beautiful for plating and for cakes. You can put them in cocktails. But, hey, they, they're extraordinarily joyful to look at too, and I wish everyone had at least one plant in their garden. From photography to flower farming, Simone's life has been transformed by Pretty Produce. I think just the highlight is that you can trust your own intuition, you can trust yourself, you can trust your creativity to design something that actually is amazing. You know, I think that's that's linked in with, and, and talking about, you know, food plants, plants. It's gone from, if you're a creative person, you can do painting, you can take photography, you know, images, you can, you can write, and then you can grow plants and you can, you can use your creativity everywhere. I absolutely adore walking up and down and looking at my flowers. And I love the interactions of the insects because um, we're chemical free. And I also um, I very much a safe harbour for insects and uh, biodiversity of nature is very much invited into into the patches and uh, in fact that interaction is what I depend upon I learn from that I understand these relationships between you know your pest management and all your predatory insects and how these cycles all wane they 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 come and they go um and I adore seed saving it's it's actually um they talk about in consciousness being in the now and when you're in the now 
you're right in the moment that exists and everything is calm. Everything is in a very sort of very calm and beautiful place. And when you're seed saving, you're in the now because you're looking, you're looking um, for cured seeds on my plants. And so I adore seeing the next generation of what I've collected the year previous because they've all cross-pollinated and they're all crazy. So I've got one-offs of things like violas in winter and zinnias in summer. They're all crazy. They're all nuts. And I just literally am a kid at Christmas opening a parcel and I cannot wait to see what happens because it's just crazy. It's it's a one-off. So that is my obsession as well. I just adore it. I think I was always meant to do this. I My earliest memory is finding a, the most stunning little flower. I must have been three years old. It was a fringe lily um, when I lived in the Blue Mountains uh, behind Sydney. And I can, I can even remember that flower in my mind's eye today. So I, I, I believe I've, in a roundabout way, always meant to be here. I think what's changed my life, how it's changed my life is – now with Instagram and global messaging and global friendships, um, finding common ground globally, that I feel so much connection, so much connection to incredibly creative and joyful and happy and positive people and businesses. And I think in a way it's perfect timing because with technology we can actually start driving our own destiny and um, and finding a way to place ourselves and our true selves going forward that, that is not compromised. So I think that that's in a roundabout way. But can I tell you, I'm probably half of the way through it because I've got no intention on hang, hanging up my little my little hat and my little penny anytime soon. Even though my husband just shakes his head, he just doesn't understand me at all. Um, however. Um, there's still a few years to go. So I talk to me in about five years and we'll see, we'll see what I'm saying then. Pretty Produce is many things. A food farm in temperate subtropical southeast Queensland. A business that sustains Simone and her husband Dave. It's also something of a meditation. Keeping Simone in the now, rolling with the seasons, leading her to the person she thinks she's always meant to be. It's pretty, but it's also profound. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm Danny Vallant. Stay tuned as we talk to some of Australia's best farmers, makers and growers. Follow us on Instagram at Producers Podcast or contact us via deepintheweeds.com.au.